Hello and welcome to Map Bites, episode 169. I'm Elaine Giles and I'm here with my co-host Mike Thomas. In this episode, we're muting meetings, reviving Kit and partying like it's 2001. Welcome back and if you're new, great to have you with us and welcome to the Map Bites family. Map Bites is a tech podcast where we share our thoughts on tech news, Apple Kit and so much more. We also review apps and as IT professionals, we share both our love for hardware and software. We're a quirky show. You really need to check out the Newbies Guide to MacBytes, which is full of our adventures going back to when MacBytes first started in 2007. You can find that at macbytes.co.uk. We have feedback this week. We heard from longtime MacBytes listener Phil with some great news for me. Phil says, I was just catching up on some MacBytes podcasts on my drive home tonight and I was listening to episode 166. You mentioned your old ScanSnap scanner and having to move it elsewhere due to Apple Silicon and the lack of drivers. I think I've got the same scanner as you, an old ScanSnap S510M, and it's still going strong on my M2 Pro Mac Mini. The scanner isn't listed in the supported devices, but it is still working perfectly well. Everything is still being scanned and it's being passed to DevonThink. Regards, Phil. That is great to hear, especially since the credit card bill for the new Mac Studio and multiple monitors has just arrived. I recovered after the smelling salts were administered. So thanks for letting us know that is really valuable information. Phil also mentioned that he was Mac C on Twitter many years ago. I remember that. Those were the halcyon days of Twitter. Lots of Mac users chatting away happily. Good days. Great to hear from you, Phil, and glad to hear that you're still enjoying MacBytes all those years on. So what's in the news this week? I'm sorry. It's it's Zuckerberg. No, Zuckerberg and Elon yet again. Zuck says he's not holding his breath over the proposed cage fight between himself and Elon Musk taking place. Neither am I, but the tech sites are full of it. A date had been mooted by Zuck of the 26th of August, but Elon didn't reply. So Zuck's ready and Elon's running scared. Elon has already said that the proceeds of the fight would be going to veterans' charities, should the thing ever happen, I presume. I'm not actually clear where the money is coming from for this, but I'm guessing that would be from the Muppets watching. Elon is claiming to be in training, and I quote, lifting weights throughout the day preparing for the fight. But he doesn't have time to work out, so he's just taking weights to work. Yes, didn't he carry a sink into Twitter the first week he was there? I never quite understood the logic of that. I'm assured there's a video of this weightlifting, but I'd just eaten and I didn't want to risk watching it. Elon did clarify that working out isn't his thing. I almost never work out except for picking up my kids and throwing them in the air. It was a bit worrying. His demos usually don't go that well. Does anybody remember the truck? Zuck, on the other hand, won gold and silver medals in his first jiu-jitsu tournament last month. So, an even match there then. Not. Before we knew it, they were both claiming that the government of Italy were arranging for this fight to be held at the Colosseum in Rome. What the actual? How does this stuff get in the news? Never mind the tech news. 
having convinced myself at this stage it couldn't possibly get any more ludicrous. You guessed it. It did. I didn't see this as heavily reported, but trust me, I've got a screenshot in case it's ever denied in the future. Boris Johnson outlined the current state of play in his weekend column in one of our newspapers. Obviously, newspaper, use the term loosely. And he declared he would take on the winner in a bout of his own. Boris, 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 just no, no, Boris. I didn't think anything could be worse than the sight of Elon and Zuck slugging it out. But Boris, I'm still mentally scarred from him jogging in London. Luckily, before he became prime minister, wait for it, in a pair of flowery boxer shorts. I'll just leave you with that image for for a moment. And I do apologise if you're eating. I feel your pain. Thankfully, Zuck said the whole thing isn't likely to happen and we all need to move on. OK, we have a phrase for that in the UK. All mouth and trousers. And I think that fits here most appropriately. So some genuine tech news. It seems that Amazon enjoyed Prime Day so much they're doing it all again. But you'll have to wait until October. It is coming, though. This is in addition to Prime Day, the back to school sale and Black Friday. This one's going to be known as Prime Big Deal Days. I don't think I need anything, but that won't stop me looking. They usually do a decent deal on their own devices. Could I be tempted by a Kindle scribe? No, no, I must stop myself. Despite Jonathan loving his and tempting me with his unboxing back in December last year. What might tempt you? Do let us know, because we might add it to our wish list too. Think that was Monday. Tuesday was dominated. In fact, I I think we should declare it National Data Loss Day. First off, it was the Electoral Commission. You couldn't really get much more serious than these two breaches. But the first one was the admission that the details of 40 million, yes, I did say million, UK voters had been hacked. The Electoral Commission said it was targeted by a cyber attack which allowed hostile actors to access electoral registers. Hostile actors. Hackers seem to be the term you're looking for. They apologised for the breach. This is obviously the Electoral Commission, not the hostile actors. Or hackers. But they said there was little risk it could influence the outcome of a vote. No mention of identity theft or general harassment, of course. You're on your own with that. The hack had been identified in October 2022, but the hackers had first been able to access the Commission's systems from August 2021. Good that they let us know in a timely manner. Insert sarcasm here. It's as bad as Adobe a few years back. Personal information relating to your Adobe account, including credit card details, was stolen. The first we knew of it was when we noticed spurious charges appearing on the credit card. Weeks later, Adobe admitted the hack. At least that one was only Adobe customers, but this hack included every voter in the UK, even those who had elected to be excluded from the public list. Why would you want to be removed from the public list? Well, given local councils sell the list to anyone prepared to pay, you can be sure we opted out. That is also the reason they don't have a phone number or even an email address for me. And apparently, I'm not alone. 
Almost 28 million people opted out of the open register in the year of the breach. Thankfully, the stolen data didn't include details of those registered anonymously for safety reasons. The Electoral Commission are now taking expert advice. Let's just let that one hang for a second. Something they should and could already have done, I would have thought. I would say better late than never, but I sound sarcastic enough to start with. And as if that wasn't bad enough, within the hour, there was the announcement of an even more dangerous leak. The Police Service of Northern Ireland inadvertently published information on every single police officer and member of police staff. They blamed human error in response to a Freedom of Information request. According to the Belfast Telegraph, a spreadsheet was published online relating to the inquiry of how many officers the Northern Ireland Police Service had of each rank. But the spreadsheet had a second tab that contained more detailed information about thousands of staff members and their employment. The report said the information was mistakenly posted online for a period of time. On what planet is that acceptable? Data security should be the number one priority of anyone with access to potentially sensitive information. And information doesn't get more sensitive than this. There was a drama series based on a police station in Northern Ireland on the BBC recently. I think from memory it might have been called either Blue Light or Blue Lights. It was eye-opening in terms of how different it is to the UK. There were characters that didn't tell anyone they were police officers. So they got dressed at work, they went home and said they worked in an office or something. Having seen that drama, I can fully understand how this breach is potentially catastrophic. All because somebody doesn't know how to use a spreadsheet. Which got me thinking. When I started training, courses could be five days long. Over time, the demand was for shorter courses. Something that I call Bidder-Note training. Bidder-Note being part of an old game show called Name That Tune. Contestants would bid against each other to name the tune in the fewest notes. And training has become the same. People competing to see how fast they can learn something. Uh, learn is in quotes there. A one-hour intro to Excel does not make you a data analyst. If you accept that, great. But a million times a year, I hear people claim to be an expert in something after five minutes using it. I have a test for that. I tell them to ask themselves, would you be comfortable flying with a pilot who has had exactly the same length of flight training as you have in what you're claiming to be an expert in? If the answer's no, then don't try to pass yourself off as an expert because you're not. I was going to say, here's hoping there's no catastrophic fallout from this idiocy. But by Wednesday, there were reports of yet more data loss in Northern Ireland. This time, another spreadsheet, but stolen from a vehicle in early July. Why are you leaving equipment unattended in a car? Said equipment was reported to be a police issue laptop and a radio. In the meantime... On Wednesday, they declared the Tuesday breach to be a critical incident. No proverbial Sherlock. By the time we're in the studio recording this, today it was announced that copies of the data had been pinned to a wall opposite Police HQ. 
left there by those who shouldn't have access to that data in a major middle finger gesture to the authorities. It's about time all concerned took data safety seriously. If we wind back to earlier in the week, so we've had the electoral breach, we've had the Northern Ireland Police Service breach, now we're heading to Scotland. Yes, Scotland joined the fiasco. In Scotland, it was names of thousands of people adopted as children, and these names were available on a genealogy website. The record's going back 100 years and ending in 2022. The site in question was the National Records of Scotland, the NRS an official arm of the Scottish Government. It's like privacy isn't a thing, isn't it? How often are we told to keep our details private? Chance it'd be a fine thing. That last one's like a bank publishing your PIN codes and blaming you if your account's compromised. While I was thinking therapy would be a a good idea in light of all this, a new study claimed that social media may actually be beneficial to mental health. More specifically, Facebook. They clearly aren't seeing what I see on there. Most posters could cause a riot in an empty room. And worse still, this study comes from Oxford University. Nothing like researching important issues, is there? Who's funding this rubbish? Follow the money and you'll find out. I wonder if if Zuck has offered any support for this, just saying. It's an idea, isn't it? Might be worth checking out. Oh, and then there was Zoom. Zoom were in the news for two reasons. First and most importantly, relating to security, they were, they were being accused of using user data to train their AI without consent. Zoom deny this, but experts were warning that the Zoom terms and conditions were vague enough to permit them more access than they actually needed. Colour me shocked. Not. And before you ascend to the moral high ground, Let's not forget Apple did much worse with the Siri scandal of 2019. And in other areas reminiscent of Apple, Zoom are now ordering staff to return to the office. None of this working from home thing. You know, the very thing that boosted Zoom's user base by a gazillion percent in the pandemic. And yes, Zoom also had stated publicly that staff would be able to work remotely indefinitely. It seems they didn't actually mean that. Zoom said it believed a structured hybrid approach was most effective. I see that bandied round a lot. It means get your sorry backsides back to the office. They claimed this would put the company, the, the structured hybrid approach, would put the company in a better position to use our own technologies, continue to innovate and support our global customers. I know those words are English, but I have no idea what that verbal diarrhoea is supposed to mean. The farcical part of this is the following line. Employees living within 50 miles or 80 kilometres of an office should work in person at least twice a week. So, I've spotted a get-out-of-jail-free manoeuvre here. If you want to work from home, move. Preferably more than the 50 miles away, above which you get a free pass. Why am I suggesting more than the 50 miles? Well, just in case they move the goalposts again further away. It might prove prudent. 60 or 70. Or even further. You know, you could actually go to, well, from here, Perth, anywhere in Scotland would probably do. That way it'd be in another country as well. There's no words for this stupidity. What news did you see this week that we've not looked at? Let us know. 
Have, have we missed anything? Have we missed anything we can poke lots of fun at? News from Boinks this week. I stop motion is back. I'll admit. Honestly, I wasn't aware it had gone anywhere. Boinks were off my radar since the subscription debacle of Photo Magico. We covered that back in MacBytes episode 153. The summary of that was eye-watering is the only word I can think of. The previous version had been an outright purchase and it had cost me $35.99. Over the life of the app, that would have been 53 pence per month. The new version was $7.99 per month. If I'd subscribed for the same length of time, that would have cost me £535.33. So, you can imagine my lack of excitement at the news of the revival of iStop Motion. But I didn't find a subscription in sight for this one, which in itself makes a mockery of the blog post titled Explaining Why a Subscription Model is Good for Customers. They posted that back when they rolled out the subscription for Photo Magico. As I said back then, since I'd already done the maths, it was going to take some miraculous copy to persuade me of any potential benefit of a subscription. I did notice that that post has since been retitled Two Good Reasons for Subscription-Based Models. I'm glad to see they've left the customer reference out of that now. Annoyingly, although I found the post, there was no date on the post. That's very bad form. So there I was trying to discover if this was subscription or not. I tried the dedicated FAQ. Three questions. That didn't take long. None of which related to payment. Upshot of all that, since I can't find mention of a subscription, I'm assuming it isn't. Which was when it struck me. The fact that I was so suspicious shows just how much rolling out a subscription model for Photo Magico, one, damaged the Boink's brand in my eyes, and two, eroded my trust in them. Right now, if you're in the market for an app to create time-lapse videos, it's an option. Do you remember way back at the start of MacBytes? Mikey B was using it with his son. You've got a good memory. I'm a woman. We forget nothing. I remember he was impressed and his son was really enjoying it. I don't think I have the patience for it myself, but do let us know if you make stop motion videos. And if you do, what do you use? I think the only stop motion video I can recall is Cholton and the Wheelies. I thought that that was from the 80s, but on checking it was the late 70s. I, of course, was a mere child. No, actually, I really was. Cosgrove Hall, the who made the show, had their headquarters in Cholton Come Hardy, hence Cholton and the Wheelies. And that's only about five or six miles from us now. Uh, where I lived as a child when I was watching it, it, I could walk there. It was less than a mile. Oh, so happy memories of that one. Cosgrove Hall also made Danger Mouse. Who can ever forget Danger Mouse and Penfold? Not you. Scary Lee, we've already established you remember everything. Indeed. 9to5Mac had amazing news this week. Do I detect a little sarcasm there? You might. I predict you will be just as thrilled as I was, though. Are you ready? Vision Pro, that's Timmy's goggles, will be able to run Windows XP. Be still my beating heart. We'll all be able to party like it's 2001. 25th of October 2001, to be precise. 
Why? I keep saying with every new release, Apple Kit becomes dumber by the second. But this takes the proverbial biscuit, though. Windows XP, just in case your therapy has got you over the hideous memory. Windows XP was the Windows Teletubbies edition, the blue sky and the vivid green hill version. I spent more than half my time trying to tone the interface down so it didn't look like Fisher-Price had designed it. Right now, apparently, it's more of a proof of concept rather than anything else. Given, wait for it, there's no actual input support. So, you can see Windows XP, but not interact with it. Probably safest, to be honest. The most secure version of Windows ever. Seriously, why are you playing around with technology that's 22 years old and wasn't great 22 years ago? Why would that tempt anybody to spend £3,500 on Timmy's goggles? If you, if you know, do let me know. Reply instantly and let me know. It's not tempting me. In fact, it's putting me right off. Amazon offered me a new keyboard this week. I thought it was a new Apple keyboard. Why did I think this? Well, it only had two buttons. There was a meme a few years ago with an Apple keyboard with a single key. This keyboard is actually genuine and it's dedicated to Zoom. One button mutes your microphone and the other turns your camera off. I guess if you're on Zoom all day, it might be useful. But it's not without its issues, sadly. It only works when Zoom is the focused app. Does anyone work like that? Unless you're one of the compulsive chatting attendees, I can't see you doing that. And those compulsive chatting attendees? Yes, they already have more problems than I can address here. If you have something sage or profound to add, why aren't you adding it to your notes rather than in the chat? Oh, of course, you have nothing profound to say. You're just showboating in the chat. Can you sense a pet peeve of mine bubbling away here? For me, Zoom is hardly ever focused because I'll be making notes. At the moment, that's Obsidian, but it wouldn't really matter which notes app it was. That notes app would be in focus. So this device is a great idea, but somewhat limited. There are other ways to achieve the same thing, and it is a feature that's much requested. There's several software options, or you could do what I do. Don't plug the camera in. Even when I had my iMac, there was a black sticker over the camera. If I ever used a camera for an unboxing or something similar, I plugged a USB one in and then I controlled where it pointed. Now, the microphone could be a little trickier. Although the Mac Studio solves that problem too, it doesn't have an internal microphone. So I set my default input to a virtual device in loopback. That way I have to manually be running Audio Hijack to feed the audio to that virtual device. I guess this is overkill for average use, but it still works for me. This device would be perfect, but for that need for Zoom to be in focus. That got me wondering if Keyboard Maestro could come to the rescue here. You could create a Keyboard Maestro macro to focus Zoom and then mute and unmute. Potentially, you could then return the focus to the app that you were previously using too. 
Can you see I'm talking myself into buying one to try it? It comes in black or white and costs only $16.99, so it might happen, mightn't it? I have my own pet peeve with Zoom and it's actually along the same lines. There's no easy way to mute just Zoom. I'm talking on Windows. You might be able to do it on the Mac with Audio Hijack. It can be done on Windows, but it involves opening the volume mixer. You right-click the speaker icon in the Windows taskbar, that's the strip along the bottom of the screen. You select Open Volume Mixer, and that shows you all the currently running apps that are using system audio. And then you click the Mute button on Zoom Meeting. My use case for this is when I'm attending town hall meetings at work, which are run via Zoom. They're not always the most interesting or exciting, and sometimes somebody pings me on Teams and wants help with something. It happened last week. Now, I could tell them to wait. I could say I'm in a meeting. But as I say, sometimes these town halls aren't the most interesting or exciting. Because I didn't know how to mute just Zoom at the time, I googled it later, I actually had to log out of the Zoom meeting and log back in after I'd done the support call. Back in episode 163, I gave you a behind-the-scenes look at how I create my YouTube videos. That was from the screen recording point of view. Just over a year ago, I published my first video that included Talking Head. So today, I'm going to share my experiences of taking on Talking Head video. What is there to say, you're thinking? You press record on your camera, you talk, you press stop, and that's it. But if you want to do it properly, if you want the result to be as good as it possibly could be, there's so much more to it than that. There's a lot of testing and trial and error before you think, that's it, that's the perfect setup, or at least that's a good enough setup. As I said, I started doing it a year ago, and my setup has changed several times since. In this show, I'm going to limit it to my initial setup. I'll talk about my current setup and the journey to get there in the next show. I've never really been one for including video of myself in my tutorials. Apart from having a face for radio, as they say, I've actually never thought it necessary. The purpose of my tutorials is to teach tech, Excel and Power BI in particular and people need to see the apps interface more than they need to see my face. Having said that, I've recently delivered a few sessions at virtual conferences and user group meetings where there's an expectation that the presenter's camera is on. I've also delivered training with my webcam on at work, something that we've experimented with in the training team. But somehow, doing it on a pre-recorded video feels different. I guess with a video, people expect you to be talking at them, whereas in a live training session, your webcam may be on, but you're mainly looking at your screen or your keyboard. So, what made me make the leap from faceless video to including talking head? Let's just say a mixture of your powers of persuasion and a need to get out of my comfort zone. That was a need, not a desire. So, one Sunday afternoon in July last year, we set up a recording studio at MapBuy's headquarters. We already had a lighting kit which included several ring lights and some small tripods. I think we'd bought them for doing unboxings, although I think you had a hidden agenda when we bought them of trying to persuade me to do pieces to camera. And once I was persuaded to give piece to camera recording a go, we bought a virtual background from Amazon. So that bookcase full of books that you see behind me in my early videos isn't a real bookcase. 
It's a five foot by seven foot vinyl sheet with a picture of a bookcase printed on one side. The bookcase, in air quotes, was taped to the wall with frog tape so that when I take it down, it doesn't leave marks on the wallpaper or rip the wallpaper off like traditional adhesive tape. Thinking back, that was fun, I seem to remember. The two of us trying to stick the background to the wall, trying to make sure it was straight. Once the lights were up on their tripods and the bookcase was on the wall, I unfolded a fold-up table, which I placed in front of the lights and put a dining chair behind the table. My studio set was starting to take shape. Although we do have a vlogging camera, on that Sunday afternoon, we were doing a proof of concept, testing out whether I was comfortable speaking into a camera. So rather than charge the camera's batteries and empty the memory card and so on, I used my iPhone. I popped my iPhone 11 into a phone holder that you just happen to have in your famous tech drawer. The phone holder had a hole in the bottom for screwing into the middle of one of the ring lights. I hit record on the video app, and guess what? I froze. It's one thing reciting Mary had a little lamb, which I do before recording a MacBite show or a video to test the audio recorders working. And it's another thing to have to sit and talk, knowing that even if you had notes or bullet points, you can't look at them because you have to keep staring at the camera lens right in front of you. There was only one thing for it. I needed a teleprompter. I knew there are apps that convert your iPhone or iPad into a teleprompter, so we put our testing on hold whilst I searched the App Store. Do you know how many teleprompter apps there are? It took me all my time to read the blurb and the reviews and test a few out, but I eventually settled on one called Teleprompter Premium. It had all the right features, got great reviews, and seems to be the most popular one. Despite having premium in the app name, the app is actually free. The premium bit comes with the in-app purchases. The free version is actually good enough to get you up and running. In fact, for many people, it might be all you need. So how does the app actually work? Well, the app is not only a teleprompter. It also does the recording by taking control of the iPhone's camera. Whilst it's recording, the text scrolls on the screen in front of the image. In other words, assuming you're using the front-facing camera, you can see yourself, you can see what's being recorded, and you can read the text as it scrolls on the screen. So long as you're looking at the camera lens, it looks like you're just talking to the camera. At least that's the idea. I think it takes a bit of practice to look and sound natural. If you want to record using the rear camera, which is supposed to be better quality, this solution won't work as you're not going to be able to read the text on the screen. Some of you might be wondering if the scrolling text is recorded. The answer is no. The recording that you end up with is exactly the same as if you'd recorded using the built-in camera app on the phone. The most important thing to remember when using the app is to press the on-screen record button before you press the on-screen start button. The record button starts the video recording. The start button starts the scrolling. The two are independent, so you can practice reading the scrolling text without recording. And there was a time in one of my early videos where I pressed start, did the perfect recording, only to realize I'd not hit record. To press the record and start buttons before I start speaking and then press them again when I've finished to stop the scrolling and recording means physically tapping the iPhone screen. 
With my setup, as I said earlier, the iPhone is in a holder screwed to a ring light, which is about two feet in front of me. So I have to lean forward or actually leave my seat, tap the screen and get back into position in my chair. Luckily, the app has a configurable countdown timer. So I can tap record, that starts the recording immediately, then tap start, and then a five second counter is displayed on screen. Talking of scrolling, getting the scrolling speed right is critical. Too fast, and it's scrolled off the screen before I finish speaking. Too slow, and there'll be gaps which need to be edited. Luckily, the app has an on-screen scroll bar to control the scrolling speed, which has a tortoise at one end and a hare at the other. But as with the record and start buttons, I'd have to lean forward to change the scroll speed. And this is where a remote control would come in useful. And I'll come back to that in the next show. So that's the video side of things. But what about the audio? For the proof of concept test last July, I used my iPhone. Despite the fact that it was about two feet away from me because it was doubling up as the camera and teleprompter, it actually didn't sound half bad. Maybe a little bit on the low side, but given the distance from my mouth, I guess that was to be expected. But nothing that, given your expertise with audio editors, couldn't be fixed. I guess from my point of view, perfect is where the audio from the piece to camera matches the audio from the screen recording. So when I jump from the piece to camera intro to the screen recording to the piece to camera wrap up, it's seamless. Viewers won't notice any difference in the audio. But with the best will in the world, that's probably not going to happen. I've got different microphones and I've got a different recording environment. The screen recording is done in our studio with a professional microphone that's attached to the iMac and the recording controlled through Audio Hijack, which you've configured to perfection. And then in post-production, this audio is run through Hindenburg and exported using settings that you've configured for me before being added into Camtasia. And contrast that with the piece to camera, which is recorded in a larger room with different acoustics and different equipment. Since that first attempt, I've tried a number of different solutions in an attempt to get better quality audio. I tried my old iPhone 7, positioning it on the table next to me. I've tried a lavalier mic, they're the ones that you clip to your clothes. I tried a digital recorder, like the iPhone, positioning it on the table next to me. I even tried my old Yeti. What fun that was. I'll tell you about that in the next show. And I tried a shotgun mic. They're the long, narrow shaped ones, similar to a barrel of a shotgun, hence the name. So that's where I'll leave it for today. Next time, I'll talk about how I get the text into the teleprompter app, remote controls, my lighting setup, why I bought a physical teleprompter, my journey with audio, and the changes I made to the studio setup. Before I finish, they say never work with children and animals. In the show notes, you'll find a link to one of the test videos that I recorded in July last year. Never work with animals. I'll say no more. We're going live again on Friday with episode 204 of MacBytes After Hours. I'll be trying to make Notion talk to Obsidian. I know. What alchemy is that? Mike will be making his usual magic with Excel and Power BI. All that and loads of chat with all you lovely MacBiters. Don't miss it. Full details at macbytes.co.uk and at showtime, 9pm UK, go to youtube.com slash Elaine Giles and the live show will be front and centre. And it wouldn't be the same without you.
But that's it for this episode of MacBytes. As always, we would love to hear from you. So please send your questions, comments and queries by email to the crew at macbytes.co.uk or use the contact form on the website. We also have a very active Slack chat room that's open 24-7. Simply go to macbytes.co.uk slash Slack and join the conversation. You can follow MacBytes on Twitter at twitter.com slash MacBytes. You can follow me personally on Twitter at twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash Thomas Mike. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash MacBytesiri. So, until next time, this has been Elaine and Mike bringing you MacBytes. Goodbye. Goodbye, and see you next time. What have you been feeding them? What do you mean? This is the fourth show in four weeks. It's not like them. I know, but long may it last. To be honest, I can do with the piece. I couldn't agree more. How's the series sucking up to going? I'm exhausted. This indispensable thing is grilling. What has she got you doing now? You remember a few weeks back, she had me move the fossilized scanner out of the office? I do. You moaned about it for days. Well, she now wants it moved back into the office. What for? It's older than you are. I know. That's exactly what I said. So what did she say? She said that part of being indispensable is not questioning anything she wants. She's got a point. She also has the memory of an elephant. So I have to be careful. Did you order her that zoom muter thing? I did. In fact I ordered two. But don't tell her that. Why not? What are you going to do with it? She's trying to hack it so it works better. And so am I. Why? What are you trying to make it do? Muter. To give me a rest. Good luck with that one.